Hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Lion Podcast. Last episode, Brian and I got together to record again for the first time in weeks, and man, did we have a lot to decompress and talk about. We talked about life, what we've been doing for work, Brian's move back to New Jersey, COVID, racial tensions, division in the church, discouragements. It was quite the conversation, and today we're going to pick that convo back up. At the end of last week's episode, we were getting into discussing how our current cultural moment is really good at producing a pharisaic outlook and how the current cultural moment differs from where we were the previous two decades. Let's jump back in. Here's Brian. We don't even recognize how fully broken we are. And so when we teach the idea of you can find wholeness, it's so much bigger than you can get past that sin that I don't like in you. Right. It's rather you can be free from the way that sin warps you. Not completely yet, but you can be free from it and you can move more and more towards freedom as you know Jesus more and more. That becomes a completely different offer than Jesus will help you see this one thing differently. It's he'll help you see everything differently. You were talking about how sometimes as Christians, we have the, the tendency to attack the symptoms, but not the disease. Is that a good character characterizing of it? Definitely. Yeah. So um, here, I agree with you. And I think what you're saying is important. I do have a little bit of pushback. I, and it's just, it's another angle to consider this from, and I'd Mm -hmm. love to get your opinion on it. So we're talking about how it's much more effective, right? To reach people and just bring them to Jesus and then let the Holy Spirit, you know, change them. But I think, I think that, I think we're reacting to, and I'd say we're rightly reacting to the church in the nineties, early two thousands, eighties, the church tended to have a very conservative mentality and, and a very legalistic, almost pharisaical mentality. I would say that's my mm-hmm. analysis of the church back then as someone who was a part of it. And as someone who's analyzed the stories of different friends that are a part of it. So it's this idea of like, we're going to be really strict about what we think about sexuality or what we think about this or that, you know, I mean, I, I, I remember things like, you know, secular music. I had a youth pastor who was talking about how, you know, you guys all need to take your secular music and put all your CDs in a pile and light it on fire. There's like this extreme attitude towards things. So now what I'm seeing is a reaction to that in 2020. And, and this has been developing, I would say, maybe over the last 10 years where I'm seeing a lot of people basically react to that with this attitude of the things that they told us were sinful are actually okay. And we should celebrate those things. Um, Like, I'll just give an example. I was, I saw a Facebook thread where it was people basically talking about their experience in youth group. And it was like, when we were kids, the youth pastor told us that, you know, we shouldn't have sex before marriage, but actually uh, healthy sexuality is a very normal part of developing for teenagers. And we shouldn't try to suppress this or repress this. And it was like kind of this very progressive liberal like idea of these things that they said are sins are actually normal and we should celebrate it. So like, let's, let's talk about our positive experiences as teenagers having sex with different people and how it helped us grow and help it, how it helped us uh, become better people. And my question is like, one, are you seeing that same trend of people looking at things and saying, man, back in the day, back in the nineties, back in the early two thousands, the church told us these things were bad, but actually they're not. And we should celebrate them. And then for us on the other side of it, as ministers and as Christians, how do we address that by holding to that same principle? Because if I've even seen it in the church where we have Christians who are saying the things that they said were bad are actually not bad. And we should, we should actually be supportive of these things. So like, how do we deal with that? First, I'll say that I spent a quarter of that time wondering whether or not youth pastors aren't saying that you should burn your CDs anymore just because CDs don't exist anymore. <laughs> that, was, that was a very like, I could feel the date of the example <laughs> that you were using. Oh, yeah. But that, I do that agree. That was probably 2004. That was what I felt. You were, yeah. you were dead on. But yeah, I I have seen and noticed what you're talking about. I I don't think that's the best way to deal with it. The idea. What what do you think is not the best way to deal with it? The idea of what we were told was wrong, maybe isn't wrong, and therefore we should celebrate things. Like 
I think that a lot of a lot of what was going on in that 90s, early 2000s Christian culture that was perhaps a little bit legalistic and and pharisaical was trying to go too hard at good things and replacing a healthy relationship with Jesus with doing what looks to be the biblical right thing. Come to church every Sunday, read your Bible every day, pray every day, everything will be fine and you'll have no problems. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex and life will be good. Yeah, those are overreactions to... Throw your CDs into a fire. Now that one you just should do. Say no to Mostly drugs. Mostly because you don't, you don't have anywhere to play your CDs anymore. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I think that there's so many pieces of it to break down. I'm trying to figure out where I'm starting. Fix the problems um, of the world right now, Brian. Here I go. Do it. I got, how long do I have? Like three minutes? Go for it. Easy. I do think that there was a culture of pharisaicalness, if that's a word, that needed to be combated. However, combating it by saying we need to give up on biblical standards of living is not helpful. I think that part of what it means to come to Jesus is to find freedom from sinful things. Yeah. The, the problem with the pharisaical culture of 90s and early 2000s churches and let's be real, of many churches still today. The problem with the Pharisaical culture is exactly the problem that Paul addressed in Galatians. Mm. It's you were meant to have this free relationship with Jesus, but now you're believing the lie that unless you do these good things, you can't have relationship with Jesus. Mm. And he was saying that is untrue. Yeah. That's a problem. You can't live like that. It's, it's almost like this the idea of you need to come to God, but you can't because of your sin. So you need to go and fix your sin and then you can come to God and experience him and he'll accept you. That's kind of how it was framed. And you're saying it needs to be, it's putting the cart before the horse. We say, you've got problems, come to Jesus and then let's talk about your problems. Exactly. And, and now let's even use the example of going to a doctor. Like, let's say that you have, I don't know, like back pain, anything that isn't COVID. I just don't want to use COVID. (laughs) Fix your back pain and then you can come to the doctor. Yeah. Like that's a ridiculous (laughs) reason to go to the doctor. But at the same time, if you went to the doctor and they were just like, hey, a lot of people's back hurts, you know, like that's just (laughs) kind of a thing. That's kind of what happens with backs, you know, like you would sit there and say, okay, but you're <laughs> like that doesn't fix your issue. That doesn't help you move beyond the problem that you have. So on the pharisaical side, it's replacing one bondage with another bondage. Mm, yeah. On the overly accepting side, I suppose we'll call it, it's never helping people get out of bondage in the first place. Yeah. Oh, so I've heard I've heard a really, really good thing from some some of the pastors you and I look up to, like guys like John Mark Comer. I've seen this idea float around sort of the the Instagram story sphere <laughs> where people post their thoughts and hot takes. And I don't think this just comes from them. I'm pretty sure this might have originated with Mark Sayers. But the idea is that in the in the at least in our lifetime, the Pharisees of the past were the conservatives. And it was this legalism of here are the moral standards that you must keep in order to come to God. They've been saying that the new Pharisees of the moment are actually the progressives because they're the ones who are saying, if you want to be a truly actualized person, here are the standards you must comply to. You can't Mm. think this is wrong. You can't think this thing is wrong. You have to accept this. You have to be open to this. If you speak out against this in any way or say the Bible says this or whatever, you're a bigot and you're a horrible person. Do do you get what I'm saying? It's like, it's this reverse Pharisee and and Sadducee idea. It's it's the flip side of it. It's, It's all the kingdom without the king. Hey everybody, this is Aaron from the future. And as I was listening to myself talk about this, I really didn't think I did it justice. 
So I decided to insert a clip from an amazing podcast, one that you should be listening to much better than this podcast. It's a podcast called This Cultural Moment with John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers. And I'm just going to play a clip from their conversation from an episode entitled Progressives as the New Pharisees and the Immorality of the Christian Sex Ethic. It's about a two-minute clip. Listen to this, and then we'll jump back into the episode with me and Brian. So in this reactionary moment, does politics become the new religion for a secular society? Absolutely. So one of the things that's fascinating that a lot of people are still struggling to get their head around is there's this move towards relevance where all of a sudden the Christians all of a sudden want to chill out and be cool and accepting and not be so hung up on stuff and not be fundamentalists and not and be all angry. Not and be angry. We don't even have to legislate and go to Washington, D.C. We'll just exactly. do our own thing. So you've, you've got that moment. But just as that is happening, you've then got this puritanical tone to some of the left where the left then moves into what Yuval, Yuval Levin talks about as a they're now they've won the culture war so they've defined sexuality they've defined their vision is now winning so what they've got to do is defend that turf so for a lot of the time before this moment the left was on the periphery the left was in the minority position it could do radical art projects Andy Warhol could you know shoot you know, radical art films. You could have rock and roll could protest. You know, you could you could have performances on university campuses where you did shocking things because you were in the minority position. But then when you're occupying the commanding heights of the moral culture, you have to defend it. So you've got to censor. You've got to use shame as a tool of of defining behavior. So we're in this strange... So the left almost becomes like the Pharisees of post-Christian culture. Yeah, so it's, you know, it was a Reverend Lovejoy's wife on The Simpsons, that sort of church lady who, or, you know, I think Dana Carvey had that church lady sort of character. All of a sudden, the, the, the progressive left sounds like that, just at the time when the Christians are trying to be completely sort of open-minded. Yeah, it's judgmental, it's angry, it's self-righteous, yes. it's puritanical. If you step out of line, if you say the wrong thing, if you believe the wrong thing, you are just jumped on. But how you live is like, ah, whatever, nobody's really paying exactly. attention. But if you stand for the wrong thing or vote for the wrong thing, you are the evil. Like, that's that's the like the worst of 1980s Christian yes. fundamentalists that I remember growing up. Yes. You hear the soundbite of Falwell, whoever on TV, and yeah. you just cringe. Like, the heart posture is nothing like Jesus. It's Phariseeism for them. But now it's coming from the left. It's one of those things where, you know, I don't, I, I hope no one listening to this thinks I'm not one of those people who, you know, the type of people who are like free speech advocates where it's like, people should be able to say whatever the heck they want whenever they want to, because that's America. Mm-hmm. I think as Christians, our words matter. Yeah. We should guard our speech and guard our tongues, like the Bible says. When it comes to speaking out against sin, we absolutely must speak in truth, but it must be laced with love. There must be so much compassion uh, for the person lost in sin. And remembering that we too were lost in sin without Jesus. But but so I'm not one of those people that's like, I should be able to say whatever bigoted thing I want to say. But I also think that there is truth that actually is not bigotry if it's said the right way. Sometimes truth can be communicated in a way that is totally full of bigotry. But there's a way to communicate it in love. And we need to be able to, to communicate those things if we're going to effectively pastor people. Because if not, then it is like someone comes into our doctor office, but we can't prescribe them medicine because culture has deemed that that medicine it doesn't work you know absolutely yeah and and it's finding that standard in what is biblical and not what is cultural for that, sure that to me is the biggest thing because i i do think that there were moments when i looked at that kind of old school pharisaical culture looking back to like 90s early 2000s and there's things that in certain places you could look at and say that sounded good to you but that wasn't necessarily founded in scripture yeah and that's where the problem came in and the same thing is now happening on the other side where it's oh you can't tell me this this and that is wrong it's like you're right i can't tell you that it's wrong but the bible is showing us that we're called to live by a different standard than what you're putting forward 
Like, and so in any moment, it has to come back to what is the standard that the Bible puts forward and what is the kind of relationship the Bible calls us into with God. Yeah. And like that f- always has to be what we're aiming for. Yeah. I feel like prime example uh, that we could go to would probably be homosexuality because, you know, you and I would be guys who would hold to what's called non-affirming theology. That means that we would say for someone to practice their desire to be in a uh, same-sex relationship, that would be against God's design and his plan. But with that, we have so much compassion for people who struggle with those things. But I feel Mm -hmm. like in the past, in the 90s and early 2000s, when we talked about homosexuality, it was just like, it was this very conservative, no nuance. It was just basically like, it's a choice. It's a sin. You just need to choose not to sin, dude. Just get your act together. Just stop being attracted to other people. It was almost like it was this thought of anybody who was acting out on homosexuality was just like somebody who got up one day and was like, man, I how can I rebel against God in the worst mm. way possible? And how can I just go out and fulfill the desire of my flesh? No one thinks that way. Like, no, I mean, most people don't think that way. Yeah. What we're dealing with is somebody who just like you and I are attracted to women. If we're using a guy, a, a, a gay guy as an example, he's dealing with an attraction that is like chemical. It's inside his body. Like he can't mm-hmm. necessarily control it. It's not a choice to be attracted to somebody else. It, it's it's an it's it's an involuntary reaction in your body. It's a far more complex thing than yeah. the way that you chose what you had for breakfast this morning. Yeah. And even that you chose that breakfast because you were hungry for a specific type of breakfast, you know, so even that plays into mm-hmm. it. But so so you've got like the extreme conservative 90s, early 2000s way of handling it, which is just pray the gay away. And then you progress now to we have uh, a culture in a lot of churches where it's like, we're not going to talk about this. If you are someone who identifies as gay, that's great. There's even many churches that hold a theology, which I don't agree with. I can respect that a lot of people have actually done the work to try to parse through the scriptures and see how homosexuality could fit into a Christian worldview. I just don't respect the conclusions that they've come to, and I would disagree with them. And let me just say this because I think it's really important to say. So the non-affirming theology is a theology that would hold to what is considered the historic Christian interpretation on sexuality, that sex and marriage was intended by God to be between a man and a woman. Now, I want to be really clear here. If you're listening to this and maybe you would identify yourself as LGBT, if that's you, you may have heard many pastors or Christians talk about you like, oh man, anyone who practices that is disgusting and terrible and the worst of the worst. And I'll admit that is a common way that homosexuality and other LGBT issues have been talked about in the church. I just want you to understand, if you're listening to this, that that's not how Brian and I feel. While we would hold to the interpretation of scripture that would say for someone to have same-sex attraction and then act out on it and give in to that temptation, we would consider that to be a sin. We would not consider it to be the worst of the worst. We don't consider it to be any worse than our own sins. And the reason that we even talk about this is because we believe that this is what the Bible says about sin regarding this issue. We love all people and we don't want anyone to be separated from God because of sin. So the reason that we hold this stance is not because we hate anyone, not because we look down on anyone. It's simply because this is the interpretation of the scriptures that we've landed on and that we're convinced is true. And so our heart for anyone struggling with same-sex attraction or any form of LGBT identity, our heart is honestly compassion. We want to see people come to Christ and we know that's not going to happen if people are bullied and put down and mistreated. So I hope you understand that when we're talking about this, it's not coming from a place of superiority. It's not coming from a place of looking down on anyone. It's simply because this is what we believe the Bible says is true. And so just like anything else in the scriptures that we believe is true, we have to hold to it. But our heart is filled with compassion for anybody struggling with these very serious issues. And we want you to know as a listener when we talk about this, we don't think less of you. And we hope that you would listen to the things that we say 
with an open heart and an open mind. If you're somebody who professes to be a Christian listening to this, we hope that you would pray about the words that we're saying and see if God would speak to you through it. So I just thought it was important to say that and to note that. So while I don't uh, respect the conclusions, what, what I would say is that the answer isn't found in the past conservatism and the current modern progressive moment. For those of us like you and I who hold to a non-affirming theology, the answer is somewhere in the middle. And that's where we take the truth of the past, but then we can learn from the sensibilities of the moment to say, okay, we've learned that the way that we handled homosexual people in the past in the church was not good. And there's so Mm -hmm. many people that have been burned and scarred. They feel like they've been rejected from their church. They feel like they're the absolute worst of the worst people in existence. They, They feel like that's how they've been framed by their church. And so, so many of them have left the church and either run to churches that are more progressive and accepting while sacrificing what I would say is scriptural truth. And, and or, or even away from the church completely into the arms of a community that embraces them and says, hey, you don't need religion. You just need us. You don't need a savior. You just need us because we're going to validate you and support you. And I, I think the answer needs to be the church needs to be a safe place that somebody struggling with homosexuality can come and be accepted as a human being struggling with sin like anybody else. They need to be accepted. They also need to be just like anyone else in the church is going to be told you need to follow Jesus. You need to lay down your own wants and desires at whatever Jesus and scripture deems is the right thing. But that just needs to be handled with so much compassion and so much love. And that I feel like the tendencies of a lot of churches is if they had a gay person in their church, they would consider like, okay, my main project is I need to convince this person that they need to stop being gay. And that's Mm -hmm. not how we should be treating any. Like we should be looking at the whole person and dealing with all of their struggles and not only that, but helping them grow. And I truly think that I'm seeing more churches do this. And I've heard of of same sex attracted people who have actually found Christian communities that love them despite what they struggle with. And and it's helped a lot of people come to a place uh, where they have decided to honor what Jesus says in scripture about sexuality. But they they've they've found a community that helps them through that struggle without judgment or condemnation, which is that's that's what we need to work to as the church. But it's really hard to get there for a lot of people. Linking this back to where we began a lot of these conversations around systemic racism, I was recently in the most insane DMV line that I've ever been in. (laughs) And there was a girl behind me who was like 17 or 18. And we were talking a little bit. She had a friend who was a guy who was like 20 or something like that. And we were all there for a long time. So it was really easy to just kind of take a moment and kind of get to know the people around you a little bit because we were all in the same terrible boat together. But that's neither here nor there. And at one point it came up that, you know, they asked what I did. And, you know, I told them that I was moving from California and they're like, oh, why'd you go out there? And it's like, oh, well, I worked at a a small Bible college and I got to teach the book of Matthew and I was sharing a little bit here and there. And through the course of the conversation, it came up that the girl that I was talking with either I, I wasn't totally sure because she didn't get super into it, but either identified as bisexual or identified as lesbian. Right. Was was definitely part of the LGBTQ community in, in some fashion. I didn't really dive into specifics with her about it. She didn't volunteer them and I didn't feel like it was my place to start asking for them. So but one of the things that she said after that kind of came up was and I really hang on to the way she asked it. Mm. She said, are you one of those Christians who's against gay people? Yeah. Wow. And it's one of those things where it's like, I know the way that we normally talk about it within the church of we can start diving into theological terms and we can start diving into how we read passages, but just the way that she said it, it it means that in her mind, there are a lot of Christians who don't just like disagree with something, 
but are against the people who practice something but that's or are me, that's, against people in a particular lifestyle. And that's what, yeah, like that's what I responded to. I did not dive into, well, here's all of the passages that I could show you that right. prove blah, blah, blah. I didn't do any of that. I just looked at her and said, I just need you to know God is for people mm. and I am too. Yeah. God wants to see all people made whole and I want to see that happen as well. Yeah. And I watched that kind of like disarm her a mm. little bit. But it's like if I had just immediately responded to, well, I need to make sure that she knows my stance on homosexuality, we would have had zero conversation for the rest of the day or worse yet, we would have had really hostile conversations. Right. For the rest of the day. But to begin with, like, you need to know that God is for your wholeness. Mm -hmm. And you may have different definitions from him about what your wholeness is. I have different definitions from God about what my wholeness is. Like, I'm still learning that. Right. And and we didn't really end up having too much more conversation about that. But when her mom showed up later in the day, as we were getting closer towards the door, she was like introducing her mom to different people on the line around her. Like we had become this little like traveling community around the building. Sounds like a sitcom. It, It It was the 2020 version of the Seinfeld episode where all they do is wait for a table at the Chinese restaurant. Oh, man. I'd love a sitcom just called The Line about it's it's six seasons about people. It's it's six seasons that takes (laughs) place in the same DMV line. Oh, goodness. That would be like a good like YouTube show where like every episode is only like seven minutes. We can brainstorm that show later. So here's the thing. The way that you handled that. Wait, was there more to the story? When when her mom showed up later in the day and she was introducing her mom to different people, she introduced her mom to me and is like, oh, that guy's Brian. He he loves Jesus. He's a cool guy. No way. And I remember just thinking, I wonder when the last time was that she described a person as they love Jesus and I also enjoy talking with them. Dude, no, that's and that that for me, like, it was such a small moment in the conversation where we were actually addressing that stuff and it's not like I immediately then turned around and was like, and if you pray right now like for three easy payments of $39.95 you too can have the Holy Spirit. Like, I didn't jump right into, like, (laughs) salesman like evangelist or whatever. I was just like Lord, thank you that she might now feel more comfortable when somebody around her says that they're a Christian, she might feel now like this conversation could actually go somewhere. Dude, no, that made me so huge. happy. It's huge. And I think it's so important because, you know, you're so the thing that struck me is she said, are you one of those Christians that are against gay people? The reason that she had to ask that question is because in the cultural mindset and a lot of times as Christians, we don't think about how our actions as we're trying to police our ourselves and our own community and sort of guard ourselves from the world. We don't often think about the aftermath and how the world perceives us mm-hmm. and, and, and our role as having a witness in the world. Our witness is often compromised by our attempts to protect ourselves by the world. The reason that she felt the need to say that is because there, there have been Christians who have protested against gay marriage and that's been like their focus is we have to stop gay marriage. Well, for a non-Christian person, what does it seem like? It seems like the church is against me as a person. The church mm-hmm. doesn't want me to be in love. The church doesn't want me to get married. In fact, the church is willing to legally try to stop me from falling in love and getting married. And so as Christians, it's like we don't often think about what our actions look like to the non-Christian world and how it can be hurtful. Even if we're standing up for what we believe is biblically true, the way that we do it can often make it seem like we are opposed to the very people we're trying to help. And, uh, you know, I had a very similar situation on a plane. I I sat down next to uh, a brother and sister, and I actually thought at first it was two brothers because the the girl had a very kind of masculine look. And uh, once I started talking to both of them, I kind of caught on. I was like, okay, I think this, I think this he is actually possibly a she, but I'm not sure. And we just started talking and, and 
I just, you know, very naturally explained that I'm a youth pastor and the conversation took the same kind of turn where she was like, are you one of those Christians that is against gay people? You know, cause I'm, I'm, I, I am a, a girl, but I identify as a guy, you know, and, and there was some other LGBT stuff that was mixed in with her mm-hmm. thing. And I just got a chance to just love on that brother and sister and just share with them about Jesus and how, how God is for them and not against them and how I am same type of thing. And then they asked me, well, do you think, you know, homosexuality is a sin? And I was able to tell them truthfully what I thought, but I tried to like bend over backwards to say it in the least uh, offensive way as possible. And I know some people would dog me for that and say, oh, you know, they're, they're just snowflakes and you need to be willing to preach the truth boldly. But honestly, like I am so convicted that people are so wounded and scarred, like in this cultural moment that they need us to take extra care to communicate the truth in love. And so I I did uh, communicate what I felt to be true about homosexuality, but I tried to do it in that loving way. And it was crazy. Like they listened and they were open and they heard what I said and they were willing to like discuss it with me. And as I got off the plane, their dad was actually sitting in the aisle next to me and he was like, he stopped me and he was like, thank you so much. You know, I'm a Christian. I don't really agree with what my daughter is doing and what she's going through, but you're the, you're the first person in ministry that's ever talked to her this way in a way that's loving Mm. and kind. And you know, he, he was, he was tearing up when he was saying it and it it was crazy. Like I, I actually ended up in a little group chat with her and her brother for a few months after that plane trip on Instagram. And we continued to talk and they were asking me questions about Jesus. And she actually gave her life back to the Lord. It's been Mm. a long time since I've talked to her. So I don't know how she's doing now, but like it was, there was some tangible fruit from that experience. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting emotional even right now talking about this and remembering and because your story kind of triggered that in me. But I mean, I, it's amazing. Like, yeah, it, it's so it, it's there's something that's incredibly encouraging about that because it shows that there's a way to break through with people mm-hmm. that we normally in churches look at and say, there's no way that we could break through to them. It's just like it, it, there's, there's some really encouraging parts in that, but I can't help but like hear that story and just feel sad because yeah. that, that dad was like, you're the first, you're the first person who preaches the fact that God is love mm. and you actually displayed that love. You're the first one that did that. Yeah. And that was all that she needed. It's like, that's so discouraging to me that like the answer was so simple. Yeah. And yet no one was willing to put that forward because it's just, it's so much easier to attack somebody's beliefs or worldview and just throw the verses at them and try mm-hmm. to, you know, destroy their ideology and worldview. Cause you see it as a threat, but I mean, it goes back to Jesus with the prostitutes and tax collectors. How would he have gotten that identity of the friend of sinners if he was not being friendly to them? And we talked about this way back in the Righteousness miniseries, but I am sure that when Jesus was sitting around those dinner tables with prostitutes and tax collectors, there were conversations that came up about what they did for their profession. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that Jesus lovingly steered them away from that, you know, like talking to a prostitute and saying, hey, listen, like you can be a part of God's kingdom and you don't have to sell yourself. You don't have to let men take advantage of you. Like I'm, I'm calling you to something greater and bigger. Like, won't you? join me in that. And, and it's, I mean, it would be easy for that prostitute to feel insulted and like, yeah, that's my profession. That's what I do. How, how dare you, Jesus? But, and I'm sure that he did have moments where people rejected him like that, but his MO was, he was known, his reputation was the friend of sinners specifically because he took the time to be friends with them and to love them without ever compromising truth. We never see mm-hmm. Jesus affirming anyone's sin. In fact, with the 12 disciples, there's several times where they do stupid things. And Jesus is actually like pretty critical of them, Yeah, you know? So like Jesus definitely had an edge to him as well, but he, it's just, man, Jesus is the model for us. It's truth and love balanced together. And I think there is a way to do it. Okay. Here's, Here's my, I'm going to push back on everything you and I just said for a second. Perfect. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay. So I think you and I have a sensitivity towards people who've been burned by the church and people who struggle with things like these issues of sexuality, like especially Mm -hmm. as youth pastors, we've seen kids struggle with this. So we have a heart when someone approaches us to just be soft and gentle and speak truth, but just it's so dosed in love, you know? 
So if you're standing in that DMV line and you, you're talking about how you're a pastor and it's not a LGBT girl that you're talking to, but a middle-aged uh, white white supremacist man and he's talking to you and he's like, hey, he, he's talking about all his horrible uh, racist views and he goes, hey, you're, you're not one of those pastors that's against white supremacists, are you? How do you respond in that moment? Oh, man. <laughs> wow. My knee-jerk reaction would be to correct him, to be like, actually, I am against that and here's why you should be. I'm just being honest. I'm being, I'm being, I'm trying to challenge myself here and you. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, that's, it's a good challenge because I, I do think I would probably, yeah, I, I I do think I would push back on him and be like, like, would you respond and be like, Hey, listen, God is for people. Okay. Like, would you say the same thing you said to that girl to him? I mean, I probably should say the same thing to him, but I think I would have been doing it to try to show him up a little bit. So like with that Mm -hmm. girl, I was trying to say God is for people to remind her God is on her side and God wants her to have a loving relationship with him. Yeah. With with the white supremacist, it would have been from the standpoint of like, yeah, God is for all people. You know, the thing that you don't do. Huh? Like I would have been trying to like <laughs> rub his nose in the fact that he's wrong. So that's and I feel like I might do the same thing. So that's kind of exposing a little hypocrisy on our end. But but, you know, OK, so there's a uh, track with me. Like, let me know if you think this is right. I feel like there's a couple different things at play. One, I feel like our attitudes change when we're dealing with somebody who is in a place of power and they're harming someone else. So that's a white supremacist. They're in a place of power and they're harming someone Mm -hmm. else. In the case of the LGBT girl, she's in a position where she's probably been rejected, ostracized by Christians. It's sort of in a a place of not being in power. And and so the, the, the heart is like, I want to show this person that I am not against them and I want to help bring them back to a place of restoration with God. And with the white supremacist in this illustration, he's not a Christian because we know that there's a different standard for how Christians should treat other Christians when there's sin involved. Like there is a sense of Mm -hmm. like, we need to call people to righteousness if they've strayed off the path. Yeah. But I'm talking about like an actual non-Christian white supremacist. It's like, I feel like I want, I want to fight him because he's in a place of power abusing somebody else. Somebody who's homosexual, they're not really hurting anyone but them themselves. Just like I would say, you know, a straight person sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, and if it's consensual and they love each other, it's like, it, it, it's not the same thing as somebody hating somebody else or hurting or doing violence against someone else. It's, it's two people making a mistake. So there is a desire to help them come out of that mistake, but there's not this strong sense of like, I need to rebuke this person because they're hurting somebody else. But all that being said, I think that I would need a greater level of compassion for the white supremacist to realize that that is somebody who is in bondage to a horrible ideology that is doing them harm as well as other people harm. And so the goal still is is rescue. It's still this person needs Jesus, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I think it's interesting that you brought up the power dynamic because one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about Jesus as the friend of sinners and, you know, the friend of prostitutes and and the lowly like back in jesus's day he was living in an honor shame culture yeah and Mm. you were your highest goal was to bring honor to your family or your country or whatever group you were part of and the worst thing you could do was to bring shame Mm. onto your group or your family or whatever and you did that through class through birth through status and through occupation and so part of what was going on in the dynamic of Jesus being willing to meet and sit down and share a meal with a prostitute was he was undoing, hey, culture has made you to feel like you are shameful as a person. Mm. And I am here to bring some of that dignity back to you. You are still human. You are still worthy of love. And God still wants real right relationship with you. The group that he seems to be the hardest on is the Pharisees. But that's the illustration where we'd be talking about a Christian who would be a white supremacist and interpreting scripture incorrectly. Because the Pharisees were the religious. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were the pre-Christians in, in essence. They were the ones who yeah, followed. Yeah, they were warping religion. They were following the Torah very strictly. And Pharisees actually get a bad rap because if you think about it, they were people who really tried to love God and tried to keep his commandments. And they, they saw themselves as the cultural 
gatekeepers for religion. And they, they were, a lot of them, I think, had the right intentions of like, we need to protect Israel and we need to get them back on the right track religiously. And so they saw Jesus as a threat. That That's a whole spiral yeah, yeah. there. There's a whole different set of circumstances. But but the idea of power playing into it, right? I think is, is a very worthy observation. And I also think that, like you were pointing out, the, I, I feel like if I if I try to put myself in the situation of how would I handle it, but also in a way that I feel is realistic to who I am as a person, like I don't want to just project myself into the perfect response, but <laughs> what's like the best case scenario of yeah. what I would do in the, in that moment? I, I do think I would want to try to do a lot of learning. You know, I, I don't often mm. talk to white supremacists yeah. and I... Right. I only really like I know like the black and white film of like Klansmen doing terrible things and I know like the modern Spike Lee film of black black Klansmen like I, I know kind of like those kind of things but like they're almost comical pictures in the sense of like they're to the extreme not yeah. that there's like any humor or anything like that like they're these caricatures I should say of what that kind of person would be. So dealing with an actual person who thinks that way, there's a lot of questions I would have. I don't really know what that would mean, but I know that the thing in the back of my mind that would be the alarm that would be going off is this is potentially a very violent person. <laughs> yeah. And I want to make sure that if I'm with someone that I believe could go on to be violent, I need to try to do things to stop that violence. Right. Yeah. Somebody who so I'd be thinking about like, could go on is there a cop violence. I need to go report this guy to? Yeah. Like, is there a way that I need to take, like, unfortunately I'd probably stop thinking about that guy's soul and start thinking about the kind of social ills that he could do. And I would be focused on trying to help the people that he wants to go marginalize from being potentially marginalized by him. Yeah. And that's, that's a good perspective too. If you're, if, I mean, if you're talking to somebody who is actively telling you about their plans to do violence, that's one thing, but there, yeah. th there are many white supremacists out there who just, I mean, the KKK still exists in 2020. And there's a lot of people where for them, it's 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 not like they want to go out and, and lynch people, but it's it's this mindset and this uh, it's this mindset of like we have the superior race and there is an inferior race. That's the idea of white supremacy. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, if I was talking to a guy who was a white supremacist, I know what I'd be feeling. I'd be wanting to challenge his white supremacy. I'd be wanting to show him he was wrong and, and, and correct him and, and show him all of this information. But then when I go back to the homosexual person, it's like, I'm not doing that to them. I just want them to come to Jesus and then work out the other stuff later through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so like, as I'm critiquing my own response, I'm thinking that if I am in the DMV line talking to a white supremacist as a as a pastor, I do need to be concerned with that person's soul, even yeah. if I'm repulsed by that person. And that's the interesting thing. I'm not really repulsed by the homosexual person. Back in the day, I was because it was just kind of taught as like, this is the worst sin ever. But the way I look at it now is it's like, this is a person just like me and just like everyone else who is broken and has flawed broken sexuality, just like every straight person also has flawed and broken sexuality. We all need Jesus to redeem our sexuality. So I'm not disgusted by the homosexual person, even if I disagree theologically with uh, how they're acting on, on their desires. I am repulsed by the white supremacist who has a superiority and hate towards another person. But I would need to set that aside. And if, if God was leading me to be a witness to that person, I would need to focus on the soul, like to, to, mm -hmm. to focus on how can I convince this person who is not a Christian that the way of Jesus is the correct way and that they need Jesus. And I, I would probably in that gospel presentation bring up the reality of the sin of, of the supremacy they feel. And just I would try to explain to them theologically why all people are made in the image of God and worthy of dignity. But I would try to do it in a way that was loving, in a way that was showing this person like, hey, I care about you and I want to see you in heaven. And 
even though we disagree on this really important issue, like I really think you need Jesus. And you know what I mean? Like, I I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. think the right thing to do would be to yell at that person. And that, that very much is the, in the cultural moment, social media, we see people yelling at white supremacists every day. And it's a very angry activism that says these people are irredeemable, but the gospel tells us that no one is irredeemable. You know, not back in the nineties, we would say the homosexual was irredeemable, which isn't true. Now, 2020, it's like, oh, anyone who's racist or white supremacist, they're the ones that are a hopeless cause. But the gospel has to tell us that neither are a hopeless cause and both people are loved by God and he desperately wants to redeem them just like he's redeemed us. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, the more that I think about this, the more that I think, so going back to the example of the gay person in the DMV line, they felt like before God, there was no way that they could receive love from him. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to try to help them see that they could. Yeah. And I think that in talking with the white supremacist, the big lack that I could see in that person is a lack of recognizing their own brokenness and coming to it with humility. Mm. Yeah. So I think that the way that I would try to, again, the best version of me would try to present the gospel to them would be to say, hey, we're all broken in different ways. But Jesus tells us that if we are humble before him, he'll make us whole. Mm, Yeah. But I I do feel like I'd probably be doing it in like, uh, you know, some people are better than others, but, you know, any master race still isn't perfect. I'm like, I'm brainstorming it right now. And I, you're, I hate you're, how that sounded. But you're like, trying. You're trying to figure out a problem you've never had to deal with before. This is this is a yeah, hypo- this, is, this is a hypothetical. I love hypotheticals, by the way. But uh, but yeah. I, I would try to bring something to the standpoint of like you know no matter how we value people, the ultimate issue is that there is no perfect person. You know, like hey, yeah. like you might feel that you're whatever you know your race is whatever, but you as a person, like, are you a perfect person? Mm. And I would try and bring it to that that level. And if I could get them to be like, no, well, I recognize that there is still brokenness in me. Then it's like, yes, there's brokenness in all of us. And if we're humble enough to admit it and ask Jesus to fix it, he's willing to do that for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And in that conversation, just like if you're talking to an LGBT person or someone struggling with any sin, anyone who's not a Christian, there's probably an 80% chance they're going to listen to your gospel presentation and they're going to reject it. That's just the reality of evangelism. Mm -hmm. But you have no idea what those seeds planted in the heart of somebody can do and what God can do uh, with those seeds. And, you know, I think that I think sin does need to be called out and rebuked for sure. We see Jesus do it. We see the prophets do it. But we have to be good cultural missionaries and recognize where are the places in society that the church has failed to call out sin in a way that is loving, in a way that focused more on the sin and less on the person in bondage to the sin? Um, And how can we pivot and do better? And I think that when it comes to homosexuality, we've definitely seen that. And so it's like, we need truth, but we need it in love. I don't Mm -hmm. know... I know several people who consider themselves to be same-sex attracted, but they are currently going to church, they're committed to Christ, and they're committed to a life of celibacy uh, where they're choosing to say, okay, this is what Jesus says about sexuality, and I'm going to be faithful to it, even though even though I've prayed and God hasn't taken away my desires, even though this temptation is still there, I'm going to walk with Christ through this, which I think is a beautiful thing. I know several people and I've heard of several people from my friends' churches that are in that place. I don't know a single one of them that came to that place because somebody got in their face about their sin and yelled at them Mm -hmm. about their sin and condemned them about their sin. I know many people personally who've left the church because of that. So it's like we have to find a better way. People are getting saved. Find out how they got saved. Find out what the factors are. It probably wasn't condemnation. It probably wasn't judgmentalism. It probably wasn't legalism. It was probably a Christian who was willing to treat them like a human being despite their flaws. And so that's what we need in the case of anything. And by the way, if you're listening, I'm not at all equivocating white supremacy to somebody who has uh, same-sex attraction (laughs) at all. It's not a fair comparison. Uh, But I was trying to go, we were trying to go to like the most extreme thing we could think of and take the, we were trying to do a thought exercise. Hypotheticals work best at the extremes.
So I know that these two episodes have kind of gone in a lot of different directions. You probably came to this episode expecting the phrase white supremacist to be used a lot less than it was actually used. In fairness, we did too. But we were glad that we were able to have some of these conversations. Thank you so much for joining us and hearing these out and definitely for responding to them. We know that the way that podcasts work is we talk into microphones and then it goes out into the interwebs. But the interwebs let you talk back. And we love (laughs) it when we get to hear some feedback through Instagram uh, that really helps us see the way that the show is hitting you guys. We want to be a group of people collectively that think through things. So please, if you feel like there's a, a facet of something that we didn't touch on or that would be interesting for us to dive into deeper, we know that this was just the beginning of a lot of conversations and we would love to keep these conversations going with you. Yeah, we want to find out from you guys what is on your heart and what are the things that you're struggling with and how can we speak into this moment we don't want to just assume we know what everybody's struggling with so pretty soon we're going to be doing some crowdsourcing on this and reaching out to you guys on our instagram story if you follow my account at aaron salvato or the good lion instagram account at goodlion.io we'll be probably putting out pretty soon some different questionnaires and polls to kind of collect data from our listeners about what is it right now you guys really want to hear us talk about because yeah we we just want to we want to speak into this cultural moment and help you guys process these things we've always got a lot to say we always are trying to think a lot but we want to we want to be sensitive to you guys the listeners about what you're struggling with specifically so if you could just be praying for us in this season that God would continue to give us the time and the margin and the resources to produce this show um, it's something we're passionate about we want to get back on it. And we're just so thankful for you guys for listening and being a part of this. And uh, we're just grateful as two guys who, you know, really loved preaching. And right now we're in a season where we're not getting to do that as much. We, we can't really stand in a room and speak to a group of people. We're so grateful that we are able to still use our voice in this way and connect with people and, and not just talk about our opinions, but to talk about the gospel and to talk about Jesus and to try to just help Christians think through what is going on in our culture and society in this moment from a Jesus-centered lens. So yeah, thank you so much, guys, for listening. We love every single one of you. I was going to say that I love them, and then you said it like that, and now I feel like I can't like <laughs> piggyback on the sentiment that you just shared. You can't. It's over. It's done. Should that's I leave that in, all, or is it creepy? That's all the love that they receive. Should I leave it in, or is it creepy? It's pretty creepy. It shouldn't be the last thing we say. Like okay. I think if you're going to leave that in, you should also leave in the amount of time it's taken us to process whether or not you should leave it in. <laughs> so just all of this? Like, just leave it yeah, in? Yeah, just all of this. Like, okay, this is going in. I'm leaving it we in. We love you guys in a non-creepy way. <laughs> we love you in a non-creepy way. Good lion. <laughs> That's it. We just found a new tagline That's for the tag everything. Line. There it is. Okay. Thank we'll, you for listening. Please we'll don't let this part make you stop. We would love for you to listen again. What if someone has listened to every single episode and then they got to this outro? <laughs> they're they're this like, this they're is out. what did it. No more. Don't. <laughs> so I dumb. can sense the creepiness in your love, even when you were saying it wasn't. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hopefully. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. 
Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.